0: If you would turn in your Bibles with me to Numbers chapter fourteen. And just a quick review because I want to get into another story here. We've been talking through much of this year about the God's process of maturing us and growing us up. Uh, first of all, growing us together, learning that we belong to one another, that we're part of one another. We're part together, we're part of his body. And that is our identity. I was listening to somebody the other day on a, on a CD, and they were talking about, and I remember seeing a program on Christian TV, and you've got to be very careful what you watch. Just because it says Christian TV, don't swallow everything. Don't, don't drink all the water. <laughs> Just because they say it's safe, don't drink it. Uh, and, and I don't want to get off into that because we'll spend the morning on one of my pet peeves. But, um, and we're here to do God's work, not my pet peeves. But uh, this was the lady that was on there. And she t- I remember watching this program and I was listening to somebody else talking about it this week. And she said, you know, well, I've, you know I'm out there trying to find myself. And I came right out of my chair. And she says, the Bible says just the opposite. We're supposed to lose ourselves. <laughs> we're not supposed to be focused on who we are. We're supposed to lose ourselves and who He is. And as you lose yourself in who He is, you'll find out who you are because you can't be and do anything apart from Him. And so we're, we're endeavoring to get closer to Him and grow in Him and, and part of who He is is you. And part of who He is is me. So that means we need to get to know each other better also. We'll talk about that in a few weeks to come because there's some things we have planned for next year to help us along, that, uh, along those lines. But I want, I'll share some of that with you later on. But, but today what we're talking about is, is this process of growing and maturing, that the Bible says that we are His children. And because God is a good Father, in fact, He defines what fatherhood is. There's not some image of fatherhood out there that we measure me by and then we measure God by. He is the image of what a good father is. He is the ultimate good father. And so we see that because He is the ultimate good father he loves us and because he loves us he'll accept you where you are but he won't leave you where you are he won't allow you to get comfortable where you are he'll do whatever it takes to prod you his best method is we just hear his voice his best method is that we read his word see his word and allow his word to work in our heart then as we act on his word then we begin to grow and mature but if we refuse to cooperate with that process God has other methods my mother had two methods of getting things across to us there was telling me, and she had this expression, children that will not listen, feel. (laughs) You understand? Well, God does that too, but He doesn't spank us. He just allows you to live in the messes you create yourself until you're motivated to come to Him for an answer and for deliverance. Then when you're motivated, then you're ready to listen. So we've been talking about this process of growing up, and we've seen that that process involves, first of all, taking God's Word. You have to do this on a daily basis. Just like you eat on a daily basis, and usually more than once a day, you eat on a daily basis to sustain your physical body. You need to eat God's Word on a daily basis to sustain your spiritual being. That's even more important because all the food you invest in this natural body ultimately will be of no importance because you're going to leave this body behind. But the spiritual food that you invest in your spirit being is eternal. Because you understand that when we leave this life and go into the next, you don't start out with a brand new start. You leave as who you are. All the things you've learned, all the things you developed are preparing you for what you're going to do there. So this is not wasted time. This is not just we're holding along, make sure we make it there, and then we get there, we all start at the... No, no, you don't all start at the same level. The Bible's full of stories about people that, are, that, that will, God will place in charge of things. Jesus said, you've been faithful a little, I'm going to put you in charge of much. So this is training and developing your spiritual maturity, prepare you for what God's real assignment is for you there. So this is not wasted time. You can't just say, well, I'm going to sit back and do the very least I can so they make into heaven. You'll make it into heaven, all right, but you're going to have to learn it sometime. And I don't want to start out in four-year-old kindergarten there. Having walked with God for almost 33 years, I don't want to go back to kindergarten when I get there. So I want to grow and mature. And besides, I don't want to displease him. I want to, I want to do what he's made for me to do. And I know you do too. That's why we're going through this study. So we see that God will not leave you where you are. So the process of growing requires taking God's Word and then making it part of you. It's not just reading it. It's bringing it into you, meditating on it, studying it, speaking it. The word meditate literally means to mutter, talk the Word of God to yourself. And as you do, it becomes part of you, just as that food that you eat and swallow now unfortunately becomes part of us. And so, But then the next thing we see is you have to act on it. And that's what we've been talking about. And then we began to look in Ephesians 16, 4, 16, 15 and saw that one of the signs of our need to grow is when things move us easily. We talked about no longer being children tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of doctrine. We looked over in James chapter 1 and we saw that James talks about the same thing. He says, because when we are in doubt, we become double-minded. That means to be of two minds about the same thing. God's word the truth. Yeah, but it doesn't feel like it's working. I know God's Word says this, but I don't see the results. I've been tithing, but I don't see the windows of heaven open. I've been doing what God's Word says, but I don't see, or I don't hear, or I don't feel. And so we have this constant battle of what God says and what our senses tell us. And what James tells us is that when we go back and forth between what God says and what our senses tell us, then we are what James calls double-minded. And he says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. In other words, he's easily blown around. So one of the signs that I need to grow and mature is when the circumstances of life, when the natural physical sense evidence moves me off of what God says. I come to church. I hear the Word of God. I go back to face the problems that are at home or at work or wherever they are. Then I come back all charged up. I'm going to take hell with a water pistol, and then I get a flat tire. Or somebody calls, you know, my mother-in-law is coming to see me, or something like that. I had a good mother-in-law, but I mean, you know, those those kind. Some bad news hits you, and now I'm shaken, and I let go of God's word, and now I run off and try to handle it in my own understanding. That's a sign I need to grow and mature. And so we've seen. We're talking about that process of growing and maturing, and that you need to develop the place where God's word is so real to you that doesn't matter what you see, it doesn't matter what you hear, it doesn't matter what you feel. Now, we've also talked about, you know, you've got to be aware of the different arenas of your life. There's a natural, normal process of your life, which you do have to pay attention to what you see. So when you get out on 195 to go home, pay attention to what you see. If you see a truck coming down on you, it's a real truck. Don't say, I believe there's no truck, I believe there's no truck, I believe there's no truck. It's a real truck if you see it. All right, But see, that's in the natural realm. But when it comes to something God's Word has said and your senses tell you something else, then you've got to go with what God's Word has says. And you don't do that overnight. It's a process of developing and maturing and it's happened. But it only happens when you take God's Word and begin to apply it. And the wonderful thing about this process is you don't have to go to school to do it. The classroom is your bedroom, your living room, the classroom is your workplace, the classroom is in your car, it's wherever life hits you in the face. That's an opportunity to take what God said and begin to apply it against it. And the next thing we saw is one of the ways you apply it against it is with what you say about the situation. Your words determine your direction. Your words determine your, the altitude with which you grow spiritually. Your words set the limits of your life. Your words are so critical because God made us in His image. And how did God create? With His words. How did Jesus minister? With His word. He spoke to things. He spoke to blind eyes. He spoke to deaf ears. He spoke to a withered hand. He spoke to things. And then He told His disciples before He left, the things that I do shall you do also, and greater things shall you do because I go to the Father. So we're to do the things Jesus did and do them the way that Jesus did it. So we've been looking at examples, and we we left last time with an example, and that's why I asked you to turn to Numbers 14. So let's go there today. And we'll begin our study today in Numbers 14, finishing up this story, because this is the children of Israel when when God brought them out of Egypt and He's brought them to the edge of the Promised Land. This has taken a year's process. And they sent 12 spies in. And we talked about that last time. And these 12 spies have gone in. And essentially what these 12 spies have gone in to do is they've gone in to see whether God's report was right. They've gone in to check out... Because God said, they have God's Word. Let's reduce this down to the very simplest form. It's very simple. When God says something, that's the truth. I now have to decide whether that's the truth for me. That's it. Amen. And I do that with my words. And so you've always got to go back to what has God said. Because if you don't have God's word on something, then you have nothing to stand on from God's perspective. So you've got. To, but the, the wonderful thing is that book that's sitting in your lap is filled with all kinds of promises. It's incumbent on us to get into them and find out what they are. So when I find out a promise that God has made, then I can claim that promise for my own, and now I stand on that promise. And understand there will be a battle. We saw that even Jesus went through that. We saw that Satan came to tempt him. We saw back in the Garden of Eden. We saw that when God gave his word to that first man and that first woman, in Genesis 3, the serpent comes and what does he immediately try to do? To steal that word. He comes to challenge that word to try to get doubt in their mind by saying, Has God said? Can you trust what God said? and the moment she gave an opening to that doubt he put his foot in there and he said he the next thing he said is he immediately challenged god's word he says god did not tell you the truth So now we hear in this story, God has said, I'm taking you into this land. This is the land I promised to you, and it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Every need you have will be met in this land. That's God's word to them. Now, they're going to choose whether they're going to stand on that word or they're going to go by what their senses tell them. So what they decide to do is to send 12 spies in the land to see with their natural senses to confirm whether what God told them was the truth. And when they did that, they discovered that there were people in that land that did not want them coming in. And they came back and gave a report to the whole congregation and said everything that God said was true, but... We've talked about that little word, but. Because usually what follows but is the reversal of what was just said before the but. So look at what was said before the but, and what's going to follow the but is going to undercut the but, or nevertheless. And that's what they said. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. However, that's another but, for, word for but. However, there are giants in the land, and because these, uh, these armies are there and these giants are there, we're not able to take this land. We're like grasshoppers in their sight, and so we are in ours. That's how chapter 13 ended. And they come back and give this report. And then, but two of the 12 spies, Joshua and Caleb, stood up and actually sort of tore their clothes, which in those days was a sign that, that, that they were utter disdain for what had just been said or what had been done. And they tore their clothes and they said, We are well able to go up and take the land. Because if God is with us, if God's promised us, then we are well able to take it. And it said that the rest of the congregation picked up stones and wanted to stone them to death. And then they wanted to have an election and choose a leader to take them back to Egypt, which is the very place God had just delivered them from. Now, the interesting thing about this story is 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that this story is in the Bible as an example for us. And what that tells me is there's a place God wants to take us to. It's not heaven because heaven doesn't have enemies in the land. So the the promised land in the Old Testament is not a type or symbol of heaven because there are no giants, there are no enemies in heaven. It's a place of God's rest, a place of God's salvation. It's a place of walking in the fullness of all that God has provided for us. It's a place of your destiny on this earth. And God has provided it for us. He's called us to walk into it, but there are obstacles there. Have you met any of them? Have you met any of the giants that are in the land? Well, there's some giants in your life. And the purpose of those giants are to intimidate you so that you'll, you'll decide, I, I, I can't do it. I can't do what God said I can do. Therefore, I'm going to go back and do what I think I can do. And then you start listening to the people and then you start selecting leaders for yourself because the first thing, next thing they did is they decided they're going to select their own leader to take them back into Egypt, which is where God just delivered them. And God gets upset. He goes on and says to Moses, I'm going to wipe them out. And Moses, the one that they gave such a tough time to, now intercedes for them and tells God, if you do that, what are the Egyptians going to think? They're going to think you weren't able to get them into the promised land. And so the the, the 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 next verse down, then what God says is, well, I'm going to show it to you. Numbers 14. Look at verse 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. But now God's going to give them some statements. But truly as I live all the earth shall be filled with the glory of God. Because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt, in the wilderness, and have put me to the test now these ten times, and have not heeded my voice. In other words, they did not listen to my word. They shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers. In other words, I gave my word to their fathers, and they will not get what I, my word promised them. I've made a promise and a provision for them, but they will not enjoy it. Why? because they've refused to believe what I promised to them. I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of these who rejected me. So when we reject His Word, we reject Him. My servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land where I went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Now let's go down... um, Verse 26, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, how long shall I bear this evil congregation who complain against me? Look at this, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel that they've made against me. Now this is what I want you to see, verse 28. Say to them, this is God speaking, as I live. Now how long does he live? (laughs) As I live, says the Lord, look at this, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so... I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in this wilderness and all of you who are numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above except for Caleb the son of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. Those were the two spies that gave the good report. You shall by no means enter the land which I swore to make you dwell in. So I swore to give it to you and to your fathers but I cannot take you there because you would not agree with my words instead you were moved by what your senses told you and not by what my word said therefore you cannot enter in and instead of that what you're going to have is exactly what you said because over and over, that what their complaint was. God's brought us out here to do what? To die in the wilderness. And God says, "I've listened to your complaints and your complaints and your complaints, and now when it's clear to me that you will not enter that land because it, because you would not believe me, I'm going to let you have what you said. So watch what you say, because God's listening." someone else is listening. They determined their own destiny by the words of their mouth. But they weren't just casual words. So if you slip and say something, don't get upset about that. They believed this in their heart, and as a result, they spoke it with their mouth. Because we know that the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we've seen in Romans 10 that you're saved. How are you saved? By believing in your heart and saying with your mouth. The saying with your mouth crystallizes or completes what it is you believe in your heart. And that's why we, we, we declare, we take God's Word, we put it in our hearts, and then we speak it out. Now, I want to show you another example. And I haven't made this connection that we were just talking about. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18, I think it is, 17. First Samuel chapter 17. Very famous story. We're going to look at it from a little different perspective. First Samuel chapter 17. Now the Philistines, those were part of the enemy that they had seen in the promised land. Now, we're going fast forward a bit. And the, the Israel has selected, they've gone through a period of time when they had, when, when Moses has died, then, then Joshua died. And then they had a period of time when they had what were called judges to rule. And they were not like Moses or they were not like Abraham or Isaac or Jacob. They were not like the patriarchs who's, who, who through their whole life ministered and led this people. They would lead for a season. And, and so there was no strong leader throughout this period of time. And then uh, the last one was Samuel who was a prophet but also was a judge. And the people came to Samuel and they said, we want to be like the other, other peoples of the world. We want to have our own king. In other words, we want a leader we can see. And Samuel's response to them was, this is what it's going to cost you. First of all, he goes to God and says, they want they, they're rejecting you as their leader and instead they want a king that they can see. And God says, here again, he says, give them what they want. It wasn't God's best for them but it's what they cried out for See, God God has a best for you that if you push Him hard enough, He'll let you have what you want. Now, who knows better what's better for you, God or you? And so Samuel comes and tells them this is what's going to happen if you have a king. He's going to take taxes from you. See, God didn't need to collect taxes, God could just provide the things. He's going to take your young men and make them into soldiers because He needs your, your young men to fight for them. God doesn't need that. He fights for you. He's going to take your young girls and he's, they're going to become servants in His household. God doesn't need the young girls to be servants in His household. So it's going to, what He was saying, it's to, this is what it's going to cost you to do things the way the world does them. My best is that I be your king. Now, there's a principle in the Bible that's interesting, which is that the, that the prosperity of a nation is determined by the righteousness of its king. And if you see the course of, his, of Israel, you see the course of that. Imagine what God's righteousness was like, or is like, and therefore what their prosperity would have been like if they'd allowed God to be their king. But they didn't want it that. They wanted a king they could see. And they wanted a king whose words they could hear. The battle's always between relying on your senses and relying on what God said. Okay. And so now they selected, God gave them a king. His name was Saul. Saul disobeyed God and God has chosen another young man to replace him. His name is David. Verse 1, The Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Succoth, which belongs to Judah and they encamped between Succoth and Asakot, wherever that place is. Verse 2, Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. Verse 3, the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley in between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines and his name was Goliath and he was from Gath. And his height was six cubits and a span. That's just about ten feet. So he was one of these giants. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail or it means, it means a, a, a multi-layered coat in other words, of, of metal. And the weight of this coat or, or armor was 5,000 shekels of bronze. Now, the note in my Bible says his armor weighed about 126 pounds. And he had a bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin slung over his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, or 15 to 16 pounds. The point on the end of his spear weighed 15 pounds, let alone the spear, which was like the beam of a weaver's uh, weave, whatever they weave with. Anyway, now look at verse 8. Then he so here's the picture. You've got lined up on this side, this mountain ridge, the army of the Philistines. You've got lined up on this mountain ridge, the army of the Israelites. And you've got a valley in between. And every morning, this man would come out from the Philistine army, and he was about 10 feet high, tall, and we've seen the description of what he was wearing, his armament. Verse 8, the giants stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you're the servants of Saul? Now we're seeing something here of how he's looking at this picture. Very important, how you see yourself and how you see God and how you see your enemy or the circumstances. We've already seen what happens to the the, the spies that went in and how they saw their enemies and it determined their future. How they saw their enemies and how they saw themselves and how they saw the Word of God determined what God was able to do in their lives. Now we have a similar situation. You have a real army with real spears and real arrows and real whatever else they had. And you have the, the army of Israel on the other side. And this representative, this giant, comes out from among the Philistines and begins to do what? Talk to them. The enemy will talk to you. You will talk to yourself. It's important what you listen to. And look what he's saying. Why have you come out to line up for battle? In other words, it's useless. He's trying to undermine their confidence. Why you come out to line up? Am I? Are we not Philistines? Oh, we're a fierce army. And who's your leader? Your leader's Saul. That's how he was trying to represent to the Israelites this picture of the scene and the setting in which they found themselves. What he's telling them is, it's the armies that belong to Saul that are standing against the mighty Philistine army here. So it's Saul and his army against the Philistines and me. That's the picture that their enemy is trying to paint for them. What picture is your enemy trying to paint for you today? What is he talking to you about, the, the army, the enemy, that's arrayed against you right now? whether it's your finances, whether it's a pending foreclosure, whether it's a doctor's report, whether it's issues in your family, whatever that enemy is using to tell you you cannot make it, that God's will will not be done in your life, that is an army that's arrayed against you. And there is a representative of that army speaking to you today. I don't mean me, but I mean there's an enemy that's been speaking to you and what he's doing is he's painting for you a scene to get you to believe that scene. Because if you'll believe his portrait of the situation, then he will rob you of your confidence in God's word because you have nothing to stand on in your own. And I have nothing to stand on my own. But we're not on our own. And that's what he's trying to paint for them. Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. Verse 9. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. now look at this. Verse 10. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. Look at verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard heard. What do you hear with? Your ears, your natural senses. They could see him and they could hear him. Was he real? Yes, he was. Did he really exist? Yes, he did. Were these real words? Yes. Was he really a giant? Yes. It's not denying what you see. It's not denying what you hear. It's that when you see that real enemy, when you hear that real report, you've got a decision to make. What does God say about that situation? That's what you've got to look for. All right. And notice this technique of the enemy. It's the same technique we saw in Genesis chapter 3. What did the enemy do there? He spoke to her. He tried to paint a different picture than what God had painted. Verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. I'm going to shift scenes a little bit. Now David was the son of that Ephraimite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the man was old and advanced in years in the days of Saul. Now if you go back a few chapters, what you see is God's already chosen David to replace Saul as king. Now, the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul in battle. And the names of these three sons who went into battle were Eliab, the firstborn next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shemelah. And David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. They were, in, they were soldiers. David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So the young boy, the, the, the kid in the family, He's been given the assignment to take care of the sheep while the real men, the real big, his older brothers, are soldiers. And David would periodically go back and forth with messages and care packages from home. And so that's the scene we're going to see here. Verse 16. And the Philistines drew near, the Philistine, that's Goliath, drew near and presented himself. Now look at this. Forty days. Morning An evening, so here's what's been going on: David showing up and discovers that for 40 days, every morning and every evening, this giant, 10 feet tall, would come out from among the real Philistines, wearing his real armor, and would make the same declaration: "I defy the armies of Israel." Who are you? Your leader is only Saul. I challenge you to send a man out. He was threatening them. They weren't going to go out and fight him by themselves. He's too big and too well armed. And then over in this camp, the Israelites, they would hear that report. Remember the report we just talked about? That That was just once. Every day, for 40 days, Morning and night—that's eighty times—they've heard this spoken to them, that that, that 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 you cannot make it. I defy the armies of Israel, so they're hearing this threatening. Now Romans eight seventeen, or even Romans ten seventeen says faith comes by hearing. Faith in God's word comes by hearing, and faith in the devil's word. Faith in the lie comes by hearing. So whatever you listen to, you will develop faith in. So you determine what you're going to have your faith in by what you, who you choose to listen to. You cannot always stop someone speaking to you, but you can choose to not go back and listen to them again. For 40 days... Morning and evening, this giant comes out and threatens them and never once do we have a report of anyone answering. And every time they hear it, they shrink even more. Every time they hear it, their confidence to win this battle gets less and less and less until they become like grasshoppers in their own sights. I think we've heard that before, haven't we? And this is the process that you and I are somewhere in the enemy of your soul whether through other people or through your mind is defying God's word to you telling you you won't make it are those circumstances real just as the Philistines were real is the report you've heard is it real it may well be real but there's another report Verse 17, Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an heap of, of, of this dried grain and these ten loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these ten cheeses to your captain of the thousands. In other words, take this care package to your brothers and by the way, take these things to their superior officers and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the things that went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. And for Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper and ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Now look at how his brothers greet him. And as they talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Geth, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines, and he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. Now look at this picture. Here's one of those days. And David has arrived, goes out to greet his brothers, and while he's with his brothers, this Goliath comes out and speaks the same words he's spoken 80 other times before. His brothers heard those words, Saul the king heard those words, the armies heard those words, and now you have a different set of ears who are going to hear the same words. But he doesn't do with these words the same thing with the entire army. And this army was trained to fight. Saul was a mighty king. Saul instead stood head and shoulders over everyone else in his nation. So he was tall and he was big. These trained soldiers are cowering in fear because they're listening to the taunt of the enemy. This young shepherd boy, not trained in the, in, the, in the form of art, of war, not equipped with armor and weapons, hears the same words, but he doesn't do the same thing with those words that the army did and the king did and his brothers did. What does he do with these words? And this is the decision you and I have to make. Which set of ears are we going to use? So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, verse 24, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So they heard and they saw and in their mind they came to the conclusion, we're going to die unless we run. Which is exactly the conclusion that Goliath wanted them to draw. Verse 25, so the men of Israel said... To, to, to David, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and his father's house will be exempt from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the man who stood by him and said, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies?" of the living God. Now, keep something here and turn with me to Genesis chapter 17. Because what I'm teaching you is in every situation, find out what God has said. You need to be able to identify what has God said. We're going to now look back at what God had said generations earlier to Abraham. Verse 7, this is God speaking to Abraham when he entered a covenant with him. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in all their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also I give to you and your descendants after you in the land which you are now a stranger, all the land of Canaan, that's where this battle is going on, as an everlasting possession and I will be their God. In other words, God's saying to Abraham, I have given this land to you, the land of the Canaanites, and I will be your God. So what... The Philistine is trying to tell them is that the one who's going to take care of them and be their leader is nothing but Saul. Therefore, they should be afraid because what can Saul do to that Philistine, let alone the army? He's saying, your trust is in your king Saul and he's no match for me. But David remembers these words because David remembers God said, no, I've given this land to you. That's the word they had. That's God's promise. I've given this land and it's a covenant. We don't have time this morning to go into a covenant what it is. But it is the most solemn oath that can be given. God has literally pledged his life to Abraham to back up his word. And God says, I have given in that land to you the land they're fighting over. Not only that, I have committed to be God to you. In other words, I'm your God, not Saul. I'm your protector, not a man. That's why God was upset when they wanted a man to be their king. Now let's go on, because I want to show you why this was significant in what David said. Verse 9. And God said to Abram, Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and descendants, your descendants after you throughout their generation. And this is my covenant which shall, you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. And notice this is the significance. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now go back to first Samuel 17. So now when David says in verse 26, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David is looking at this scene very differently than his brothers, than the king and the Israelites. They're looking at this scene of what's happening and going to happen in the very terms that the giant has tried to to convince them is the truth. And here's the principle. If you believe that report, that report becomes the truth to you. Whatever report you believe and begin to speak, it becomes truth to you. There's God's word and God's truth and then there's what the enemy would have you believe, and you are the deciding witness for your life. You choose which is going to be real for you. The principle in the Old Testament is if two agreed on something, it established a truth for them. So you have what God's report is, and you have the report that the enemy would have you believe. Whichever one you agree with, you become the deciding witness. You're the second witness for your life for your life, for your life. And here's an example of it. Here's the entire army. They've chosen to agree and accept the word of their enemy, the giant, who looks, who looks more powerful, who sounds more powerful, and they listen to his threats. But David's perspective is because he knows what God's word says, he knows what God has said, and he actually believes what God has said and has acted on what God has said. And so he says in this scene, wait a minute. And remember, he's the smallest person there. He's the little kid. He says, wait a minute. What's going on here? Why are you cowering back in fear? Who is? This is how he sees the giant. He doesn't see him as 10 feet tall. He's not paying attention to his bronze armor and his weaver's beam spear and the big 16 pound point that's on it we didn't even read about his armor bear that went out in front of him he's not paying attention, did he see him? oh yeah but he's not moved by what he sees because what he sees is he interprets this in terms of what God has said and he remembers the covenant that God made with Abraham where God promised to give this land to them and the seal of that covenant by which God backed up his promise with his own life, the seal of that was the mark of the circumcision. So what David is looking at this in terms of is, all right, let's look at this scene. Which side in this battle has a covenant with God? The giant was trying to tell him, look, your leader Saul. So your welfare and your protection is all determined upon how strong and what Saul can provide for you because that's what they all saw with their eyes. But David is saying, I don't care what I see with my eyes. I don't care who the king is. I don't care who this giant is. All I see is this. They have no covenant with my God. And if you go back and study covenant in the patriarchs, what you'll find is Israel is not the name of a nation. Israel is the name of a man. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And when God entered into the covenant with Jacob, he changed his name to Israel. So when that giant comes out and says, I defy the armies of Israel, he's saying, I defy the armies that belong to a man who is in covenant with the living God. And that's the terms David saw and he said he's an uncircumcised Philistine, which means this giant, I don't care how big he is, he's got no covenant with my God. So David compared, see, giant wanted them to compare the size of the giant with Saul. David sees it comparing the size of the giant with his God he's in covenant with. It all depends on how you see the battle. Which is why the Bible tells us that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. David had renewed his mind to what God said about the situation. What God said about the situation. But what I want you to see this morning is what you decide the truth is becomes the truth for you. So God's word says, if you'll bring all the tithe into the storehouse, prove me. See if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out on you a blessing that you cannot contain. I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. You don't need to stand up and down and speak to the devil. God says, if you'll tithe, become a partner with me in turn, trust me with your finances. I'll rebuke the devil. It's not you standing against that devourer. That's like David standing against... Goliath. It's God says, I'll stand against the devourer on your behalf. Well, say, so I've tried that. You don't try it. David did, you don't try what David's about to do. Let, let me, okay, guys, here's why I'm going. I think this might work. I heard it in church Sunday. So I'm not going to take any armor. I'm just going to go get five smooth stones and I'm going I'm to try it out. We'll see if this word works. You don't do that. You don't do that. You make a decision of your will. God's word is the truth. No matter what I see or what I feel. That means no matter what's happening in my circumstances, I need to find out why it's not shown up yet, but I know one thing. God's word's the truth. I've had that happen over and over in our life. When I've stood on God's word and some circumstance arises to scream at me and say, see, it's not working. And I'll dig my heels in and say, I'm looking right through you. I don't know why this circumstance has come up, but all I know is God's word has to be the truth. So somewhere this is going to turn around. You will be tested. Your faith will be tested when you stand on God's word, when you stand on God's word. So this is the scene we see here. We see, we see the, the, the Israelites cowering over here in fear. And why are they afraid? Because they keep listening to that report. And the more they listen to it, the more they believe it. And that report is trying to get them to put their trust in Saul and say, Saul's not enough for you. The bank's not enough for you. Your job's not enough for you. It's going to fail. Your doctor's done the best he can but he doesn't have an answer for what you've got. He's done the best you can. That's the time when you don't put your trust anymore in the doctor. You've got to put your trust in the doctor. Okay, doctors are wonderful, and they do the best they can, but they'll be the first to tell you they do the best they can. Just like I practice law, they practice medicine. We keep practicing it. <laughs> but there's one who doesn't practice it. He's done it. So then you've got to shift your trust over, not to Saul, but to the God who's made a covenant with you through his word. The God who's made a promise to you through his word. And so you see the Israelites over here cowering because they've been listening to the report of the enemy and they've not answered that report. And so as a result, they believe that report. And now there's a young boy not trained in battle, not the way they were. He didn't have all the natural training. He didn't have all the experience. He had some experience we'll look at later on. But he comes and sees this situation and he's shocked. He's shocked that nobody's doing anything. And he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies who the word of means belong to? He didn't say Saul because his picture wasn't this is the army of Saul. His picture was this is the army that belongs to the God who made a covenant with them through our father Abraham. What does this man who has no covenant with God, how can he threaten we who have a covenant with the living God? He believed in the covenant, he stood on the covenant, and he acted on the covenant. So let's look at our lives right now. We'll finish the story next week. It gets better. It gets better. Oh, it gets so rich. Just just look at our lives right now. Look at your own life. What are the giants in your life right now? What are the giants that are talking to you saying you're not going to make it? The enemy loves to torment us, give you a little hope. I talked to you about our dog before. We used to run and then she came to the end of the rope. She thought she was free until she hit the end of the rope. Is it fear? Is it your finances? Is it maybe issues that are happening in your marriage and you're struggling in your marriage? Whatever it is in your life, there's issues right now. There's a giant speaking to you. Maybe it's more than one. The giant's telling you that you're not going to make it. You're going to be devoured. He's going to devour you. What are you going to do? God's telling us to turn to his word. Find out what his promise, find out what his word says about your situation. And then you meditate on that, and you meditate on that, and you meditate on that. Yeah, but I, you know, I, you know, I, I need to see, what is it, law and order? I gotta, can't miss my episode of whatever it is you watch. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you that. Is that going to deliver you from the situation? Well, I got so much going on. Is that going to deliver you from your situation? What, what, what have you put your trust in? What's your Saul? We're going to talk about his armor because he tries to give David his armor. And David tries to walk in it and says, I can't do this stuff. I have no experience with this stuff. And he goes back to the things he had confidence in, which was his God. Because the things he chose, there's no strength in those things. What are the giants in your life right now? I want you to think about your life because otherwise, this is a nice story. It's a gold Sunday school story. Those of you who were raised in Sunday school, David and Goliath, there's even cute children's. Oh, it's been around years. I mean, our our kids watched this when they were, David and Goliath, you know, cute story. It's not just a cute story. We're living it out right now. You're living it out. And I don't want, it would be a tragedy if we study this together and we all leave today and probably next week we'll finish. Well, it won't be next week. Uh, we'll finish the story and we'll, we'll see, you know, wasn't that a nice story? I just, I've always, that story's always inspired me. And we'll miss what God's saying to us. See, God knows what you're struggling with right now. He hears the voice of the enemy talking to you. And We're going to see God stepped in. See, God will step in and defend you when you take a stand. On his word, because we saw James said, when we 're double minded, he said, "Let not that man think he can receive anything from god it 's not because god 's mad pulling it back because God can only give it to you when you stand still enough long enough to stand still so that he can work in your life. But then with our words of our mouth, we tear it up again, we take god 's word and we say, Yes, I see now God has an answer for this. I see that he 'll supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by i can 't see how he 's going to do it, but that 's his business. how." My business is to believe. But I, I, I can't see how I'm going to get a job. I've been trying for a year. I can't get a... I don't see... But that's God's job to find... My job is to believe and to do what I know to do. That's my job. Years ago, a Bible school teacher said this story, and those of you in school of ministry have heard this before. He says, walking in faith with God is like this. It's as if God tells you, go to the end of a pier, this pier... And get in the boat, and then your, your job's to go to the other side. So we get to the head of the pier, and we start walking down the pier. What are we going to? What's the first thing we're going to do? Look to the end of the pier to see if the boat's there. There's no boat there. So what's our next instinct going to be? It's going to be to slow down, to give God time, <laughs> to get a boat there. But that's how we think, because we think God works like we do. See, He told us to go to the end of the pier and get in the boat. His job is to provide the boat. If he's got to extend the pier, he can do it. If he's got to have you walk on water, he's done it before. That's his job. Our job is to take His Word, stand on His Word, and declare His Word over our life. Because when you do that, it becomes more real to you, and you release its power. And as you do that, then God can begin to do His side in your life. I'll end with the story, which you've heard me tell before, but it just, it's, it, it's so powerful to me. In Mark chapter 5, is a story of Jairus comes to Jesus because his daughter's about to die. Jesus said, "I'll come and heal her. I'll come and heal her." On the way, the woman with an issue of blood touches Jesus' robe, stops. There's this whole commotion while he ministers to her. She's healed, and has taught, did some teaching, and they get up to go again. And on their way, as they're starting out, one of Jairus' servants comes running up and says, "Don't bother the master anymore. It's too late. Your daughter's dead." There's probably no worse words you could have heard. He had a choice to make at that moment. He has. Jesus said, "I will come and heal her." Jesus didn't say, I'll come and heal her as long as she's alive. He said, I will come and heal her. Now he's got a report. Is it true? Yes, she's dead. Is it it real? Is he hearing these words? Yes, he's hearing the words. She's dead. But he looked to Jesus. What does Jesus do? I have this picture in my mind that Jesus grabbed him by the robe. Now, it doesn't say he did that, but I I can almost picture this. Grabs him by the robe. Because if you read the words, what Jesus says is, fear not, only, believe. Jesus is saying to him, I'm not moved by the report we've just heard. That doesn't stop me, because I am the resurrection and the life. I'm not moved by what the circumstances are. I am the Son of the living God. I'm filled with the Spirit of the living God, the source of all life and creation. So don't shut off what I can do by fearing and doubting. In other words, Jesus is saying, I need you to not fear and I need you to not doubt. And if you will not fear and you will not doubt, this report has nothing to do with the outcome. Amen. It doesn't change what I'll do. Amen. So whatever you're facing this week, whatever the situation is in your life, whatever the giant is, you have a choice to make. First of all, if you don't know what God's Word says, you gotta, that's the starting place. Go find what God's Word says that when you find God's Word, begin to meditate on that and speak that. At first, it won't be real to you. That's okay. Just keep at it. Just keep at it. Just keep at it. Just keep at it. Just keep. Your unbelief didn't get there overnight either. Just keep at it. Just keep at it. Just keep at it. The good news is it doesn't take as long to get rid of the unbelief as it did to collect it because the unbelief isn't true. The Word of God is the truth. It's more powerful. Well, we'll pick up on